Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. Welcome in to the Windy City Podcast, covering all things Chicago sports. My name is Mark Carmen. We come out every Monday, and we've got quite the show for you today. The King will be joining me today to talk some White Sox baseball. Ethan Blumenthal on board with a horrendous experience at Target. Okay, I just overstated a little bit, but a disappointing experience at Target. That is is more accurate. My guy Ethan will join. Interesting conversation I had on the radio with Zach Birdie, who made his Major League debut on Saturday. Jason Benetti was on that interview with me as well, so I'm going to bring back a portion of that today. Walter Yost, famed sports photographer, Sports Illustrated, spent a lot of time with Michael Jordan. That's why he makes this podcast. Also, Kobe Bryant. Miss you, Kobe. Love you, Kobe. Uh, was on the show today as well. And a very busy show. My guy Brian Beto talking a little bit of Bulls basketball. But I want to start the show today with just what happened in Chicago over the weekend. First of all, the White Sox and the Indians played a great series. Sox dropping two out of three. That sucked. Really sucked. Had the lead late on, on Sunday. Scored on Shane Bieber, who's been the best pitcher in baseball. 35 strikeouts. Three walks. Sox got to him. James McCann with a huge home run. Jose Abreu took him deep. Sox took the lead. Yasmani Grandal 
finding the gap, uh, but they do end up giving it up late, Evan Marshall, and then the Indians score two in the 10th. I like, by the way, baseball's extra inning rule. Runner on second is good for me. We don't need 16 innings of baseball in the regular season. Give me old school baseball, extra innings, no runner on second, come playoff time. I'm in. But during the regular season going forward, I love the runner on second base. Love it. Changes some strategies, sure. But you're not going to be there all night. Action's going to happen. I'm in. I'm 1,000% in. But that's not what I want to talk about. I want to talk about Saturday. Zach Plesak of the Cleveland Indians beats the White Sox 7-1. to Zach Plesak, after the game, the Indians are staying in the hotel. He goes out and has dinner or whatever he's doing. Now, he's from Indiana. Maybe his family was coming over. I don't know. But the players find out about it, and the Indians send him home. And by the way, you're not flying because you're not going to get people sick. We're getting you a rental car, and you have to drive your ass back seven hours or whatever it is to Cleveland. I should know that because with Fansided, we went to Cleveland and did a great video on Browns fans, made them the fans of the year. It's probably because our boss is a Browns fan who's actually a Chiefs fan, but he's a Cleveland fan. Whatever it was, we did Browns fans. And I loved them. I loved the Browns. Loved the Browns fans. So I did drive to Cleveland. I drove there a bunch, too. I went when Jordan was playing with the Wizards. I drove to Cleveland. I should know how long it takes. But you don't care about that. Zach Plesak goes out and breaks team's rules. What I like about it is the player's like, dude, you are not getting away with this. We are going to report you. And now we're gonna you're gonna quarantine for 72 hours and deal with the fact that your name is in the news. I get that baseball players are taking on a lot to play in the middle of a pandemic and it can't be easy, but you're playing baseball. You're getting paid paid millions of dollars. Don't go to dinner. Don't have people to your room. I know it sucks. Facetime. World's smallest violin is playing, Zach. Please, Zach, come on, man. Unbelievable. The other thing that happened over the weekend, the A's and the Astros getting a brawl. Astros hitting coach Alex Cintron taunting Ramon Laureano, who used to be a Astro. And then he wants to, Laureano wants to take on the whole team. The Astros take him to the ground in the middle of a pandemic. I don't know, Rob Manfred, you're going to suspend him for the entire season? Because you could, and I don't think people should argue. I don't think that's fair, but we can't have brawls in a pandemic, even with testing. And by the way, you can't be inciting brawls there, Astros hitting coach dude. You can't just scream out at people because you feel safe because nobody can come at you. That's not it. You should be suspended along with them. Same amount. He wouldn't have done it if you hadn't opened up your your mouth. So get your get get your, get get it together here, baseball. The Cardinals are two and three. Two and three. They're supposed to play the White Sox on Friday after playing a doubleheader against the Tigers on Thursday. After having their series with the Pirates suspended Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Memo: Your season is canceled. You were unable to follow protocol. We are not making up what will, in in essence, be a quarter of the season for you. You're out. Miami, you should have been out, too. 
get some survival baseball going on here. And by the way, survival bubble. Two-week quarantine after the season, bubble in a warm-weather city, World Series ends in the middle of the November, right before Thanksgiving. No-brainer. What are we going to do, be flying people into Chicago in November when the White Sox or Cubs are in, world, are in the World Series and the flu is everywhere and the virus is flying around? No! Bubble. Florida, Arizona, Texas, I don't care where. Ideally, somewhere where cases aren't spiraling out of control. And last thing before we get to interviews, if one more person tells me that writers are rooting against a college football season, are you out of your mind? Just because somebody predicted, a college football writer especially predicted that, I don't know if there's going to be college football in the fall. Is anybody paying attention to what's going on in the world? Of course we're not going to have college football in the fall. It's not a surprise. How could you possibly have college football unless you want to be completely and utterly insane they're not getting paid you can't quarantine these guys there's no way you can do it move it to the spring and hope that things are different probably won't be but maybe they will oh you guys are rooting against football you're uh you're a bad person you're rooting No one's rooting against football. We work in the business. It's better for us if there's college football. There's way more traffic, more conversation. We're not talking about the same things. You incredible whatever you – just idiot. Idiot is the word that I'm looking for. Thank you. And I get it that people want to play. I'm sure Lovey Smith wants to play. I'm sure Pat Fitzgerald wants to play. I'm sure there's a ton of players that want to play. They're speaking out. They want to play. I get it. I'd want to play too. I'll take on the risk. 100%. It's my senior year. It's my one chance to do this. It doesn't even matter what year it is, but you don't get to do this again. You want to play. I get it, but, you know, it just doesn't seem like it is the prudent thing to do in any way, shape, or form. All right. On that positive note, Let's move on. I want to let's switch it up here and have some fun here with my experience at Target. So I'm going to bring in bring in my guy Ethan Blumenthal to start our interview portion of Dewindy City and our and a moment at Target that I, for lack of a better word or words, came up short. And now it is time for the Target incident, which happened this morning. Figured we'd bring in Ethan Blumenthal to figure this out because you're a very smart, strategic man. Thank you for being on, Ethan. Thank you for having me, and thank you for the compliment. So you don't know what I'm about to tell you, and I want your honest, unfiltered, maybe Carm's wrong, maybe Carm's right, I think I'm right, opinion on what went down now so this morning I got up 6 30 tennis match with one uh, John Williams WGN King John I was 10 minutes late neither here nor there and uh, you know so we hit the tennis ball around it's eight o'clock in the morning on a Sunday I think that's a great time to go to Target do you agree 
Uh, sure. Sounds like a fine time. You're up. Right. You're up. No one's there. Limited exposure. Let's go to Target. And I, what I've needed for, I would say, the entire pandemic and maybe even six months before that, I've needed underwear. Really want the underwear. When you buy underwear, you got to know that underwear in the boxer brief category, if they say that you're a medium, that means that, like, the medium, you have no chance of wearing those. You need the large. And I made the mistake of buying the medium, so I've been walking around very tight for a good period of time here, Ethan. But now, Mm. I said, today was the day I'm going to get my large underwear. Like, the large underwear is size 36 to 38. Now, I'm a 34 waist on a bad day, and that's most days right now, but... 36, 38, I'm nowhere close, but that's the proper underwear for me. Do you have a take on underwear before I get into the real thing that I want your take on? Uh, I mean, sure. So certainly I'll I'll tell you that I am in the um, boxer brief game. Uh, And so, and I do, I mean, I don't want to like, maybe it's a humble brag, but I do go straight for the mediums. And it's pretty simple because once you kind of know your your area, you know, it's not like getting a pair of shoes. You know, you just, you get them and it's fine. Um, And I used to be a Fruit of the Loom person and now the past couple of years, I've trans- transitioned into Hanes, um, where I'm kind of feel locked in. Right. So I, I, Fruit of the Loom, by the way, I think is an underrated underwear, but sure. I definitely am a Hanes guy because you know Mike and wait till we get say, it. Right. I mean, Michael Jordan, and every time I put on a Hanes pair of underpants, I'm like, man, maybe this this time it'll make me be like Mike. I mean. I'm wearing my Hanes right now, and I feel so yeah. good during do, do, you know doing the Windy City podcast in these Hanes. It's unbelievable. All right, Thanks. so so all I really wanted was underwear, but then I get in the underwear section, and I'm like, oh, I probably could get some socks. So now I'm in on a sock, and okay, that was fine. And, and then I I get the call, and it's ringing from the wife. And at that point, you're in the full danger zone. But I answer, where are you? Don't want to lie. She gets very triggered by lying, lying bad. So I said, I'm at Target. Next thing you know, let me send you a list. She's, I mean, I'm getting almond flour. I'm getting, sure. I'm giving, I, I mean, mm-hmm. just, I mean, I'm, 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 I'm done now. Once, so, yeah, once almond flour is in the mix, it's, it's another hour for you. Right. And so my, you know, $25 trip to Target now turned into a $250 trip to Target, which let me ask you another thing. Do you have any idea what you're looking at when you're buying light bulbs? Uh, no, I mean, I, you gotta be so specific and I could spend a half an hour in there trying to find which numbers match up with which, and it's all very confusing. It's, I don't, I don't even want to think about it. It stresses me out. The, the light bulb purchase is one of the most confusing purchases of all time. I, I have no idea what I bought, if I made a good decision, not that any of this matters, but it was, it's amazing what's written on each package. Like it's the same exact thing written on one that's written on another. One's a 40 watt, one's at this watt. This one's cost you this much a year. This one costs you that much a year. Is this one going to last long? Which one's better for the environment? I have no idea. The light bulb thing was very challenging. And I, and I, and I think I failed, by the way, I, I think I definitely bought the wrong light bulb, but they are now we'll find out soon enough. Yeah. They're well, they are in, in light bulb position at home. So I'm proud of that. But here's where the dilemma came in. Okay. Okay. I ready and waiting. Yes. So one thing, of course, I get from Chelsea, we need detergent. Great. So I go and I get to the detergent. She likes the, the tide free and gentle, the white thing. So okay. I see on the side, Ethan, that it says buy $40 worth of detergent, get $10 off. 
So I'm debating, do I really want to spend 40 bucks on detergent? Well, detergent never goes old. You're going to use detergent. You save 10 bucks today. I think that's a good buy. I don't know if it's a great buy, but it's definitely not a terrible buy. So let's go for it. And then I, and I sized it up. I get the two big white detergents, which is exact. They were like $20.65 a detergent. So I'm right over mm. the 40 thing. I get to the checkout line. The 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 checker says two hundred and thirty dollars. I have a heart attack. Two thirty. I was just there for underwear. Two thirty. No problem. I get uh, you know whatever. I'm 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 running the card and then I'm like, can I get my ten dollar Target card? Oh, that's just for the app. And now what do you do? This is where you jump in. They, she says mm. it's just for the app, and I'm like, oh, I don't think it said that. Um, yeah, and then she starts scanning the detergent and looking. Yeah, that's just for the app. Okay, um, ma'am, A, I don't have the app. B, you have a big sign up there to get $10 on the car thing. It wasn't big $10, $10 with the app. And am I supposed to return the detergents to return one of the detergents, keep both detergents, call up uh, somebody, management, hey, can I get my $10 Target card? How much drama do you want to cause on a Sunday? What would Ethan Blumenthal have done? So, obviously, there's a lot of there's mood depending. So, first of all, I need to know: did you did you win your did you play a tennis match and did you win? Yeah, but I played. We're just hitting. We 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 played a couple sets, but I, I'm I'm better than WGN King John, so it it was not okay. a it, it was not a, like some satisfying win or dis- okay. or anything. I'm trying, like, to get in, I'm trying to get inside your head if, to like, understand if it was a good day or a bad day. Inside my head at that point is that tennis never happened, and I'm annoyed that I had to get all this, all these groceries. That's inside my head. Right. Okay. Gotcha. Uh, so, I mean, I think obviously we both know that the the easiest thing, and and probably the probably the social the most socially acceptable thing here is to just say. You don't, first of all, I think you definitely don't need to actually physically take the detergent and bring it back. Like someone else will do that. You just leave it right there at the checking counter and you get the one detergent and you go home and you just forget about it and you make sure that Chelsea gets her almond flour as soon as she needs it. Is that what you think I did? No, I think that, no, something I think you did. I think that you were, were pissed because it's a, it's a matter of, matter of principle. And, and it's the same thing. Certainly like my father would have been like, are, are you kidding? You know, it says $10. I don't know what it's $10. This is what I, this is what it says. And so I think you, you made a, a, a big, uh, a bit of a, a bit of a thing. And, um, and then they, they brought somebody over, you talked to a manager and then they gave you $10 off. That's my prediction. Right. So I think I did the worst thing you can do as far as self-care is concerned because mm-hmm. I didn't call over the manager. I didn't download the app. I did not return one. I did not return two. I just walked out of there with $40 of detergent and, and no $10. And, and now I'm sitting here talking to you, debating whether or not I should call target and put it on the podcast and see how that conversation goes wow okay wow so i did not see that coming i did not see you getting both detergents now you're right there's really no flaw in getting two detergents unless you know there's some sort of storage situation but i assume that's not so there's nothing wrong with getting two detergents i still might have said i what do i need all of this so much right now I'll just get this it's just heavier to carry so i would have gone with the one and i think that it's a good thing that you didn't get 
that you didn't call over the manager because who needs to make a whole big scene? Uh, I thought you were about to just say that you walked out without paying for anything because you were so annoyed. Now that, that would have been the worst case. Yeah. You're, you're, that would have been amazing. You're either going to give me my $10 Target card or, or I want everything that I just bought refunded. Yeah. I'm not paying you for anything. This is false yeah. advertising, and I am dis- yeah. and I am irritated with Target. Yeah. And and then and then you and then you say I'm never coming to Target again, and then you banish Target from for the rest of your life. Which I myself I've done something similar to that, and uh, and just sometimes you just sometimes you got to do what you got to do. But I'm glad that it sounds like you're in a, a better headspace. And you just bought it. You said what the hell, and you just left. And now all you're doing now is we're just talking about it here. But it sounds like you still have a smile on your face. I do, but I I am. I think there there's a there's a there's a there's something for me just to go into not being the nice guy in the moment and causing a little bit of a stink that would have been a growthful move just for me. Mm-hmm. Like I'll I'll tell you right now if if Chelsea had been in there the manager would have been over one of those things or both of them would have been returned it would have been a whole it would have been a thing and I would have sat there like would you just can we just get out of target. But there's something you know but sometimes you know you got to be that person. You yeah. clearly advertise in big, bold, red target letters and numbers, $10 for 40 bucks spent on detergent. It's a lot to spend on detergent on a Sunday at a Target after a tennis with a Hanes underwear. But I spent it because I wanted my 10 bucks back, so I felt like I would be ahead of the Target game. But now I'm behind the Target game. Target just got me. And by the way, I don't know how the hell I spent 230 bucks there on like <laughs> A lot of almond flour. That's a lot of almond flour. I would I, I bought like bread and Perrier. It was like two for eight bucks for the Perrier. That sucked me in on that. I don't know how I spent two hundred thirty dollars at Target. Did, how, wait, how how many how many things of of underwear did you get? And have you tried the underwear on to know that it's that it's prime time? It's exactly what the carm needs. So. I've already worn two of the underwears because I played tennis again oh. after the first tennis. So I, 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 I put on those underwear. Then I got home from that tennis, showered, now talking to you in clean second pair underwear. Here's another question for you. Do, mm-hmm. Did I break a rule by not first washing the underwear and wearing it straight out of the package? Is that slightly disgusting in your mind? Uh well, I mean, are we going under this crazy assumption that there are people in this world who went to Target and tried on those underwear and then put them back in the bag? Because if that's the world that we're living in, then I need to get a plane ticket out of here. But assuming that's not the world we live in, I've never washed underwear before putting it on, assuming that the bag that I got it was completely sealed. I mean, why? Why? what's wrong with that? I think, I, and I know that if my wife listened to this podcast, she would be appalled that I would wear that underwear before washing. It's sitting. It's it's in a bag. It's been dirty. It's just sitting in a store. Who wouldn't wash it? It probably smells. You need to wash it. That's what she would say. And um, well, and I'm and she's not the only one, by the way, that would say that. For the record. Well, then you know maybe I've been doing it wrong all these years, and 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 I don't know. Maybe I'd be a better person for it. But I've I've never washed a pair of underwear. I put it right on, and I say, man. This is great because a new pair of underwear, just a new pair of socks too. They both feel really good, and it makes me think every time, it's like, man, I should do this more often. It's just way softer right now. It's so nice. Tweet me at the Carm if you wash your underwear before or if you don't, and I will give you one pair of the ten pairs of underwear. I bought the large package, ten pack underwear situation. You can also tweet 
uh, Ethan, at he can pass, and he can pass. Which, and, yeah. And he can pass. If you tweet Ethan, what, will you give him a pair of your used underwear? Hey, if there's a market for it, absolutely. Yeah, we, I'll, I'll, send him, I'll send him right away. There we go. So you can win. And, and also, yeah. also, we can at Target here uh, to see if we can get Target to send Carm the $10 that they owe him. Now, that's a better move. Please yeah. at Target and include me in it. You owe at the Carm 10 bucks. Let's try to start a movement here on the Windy City Podcast. Uh, and anybody that does that, I'll, I'll, I'll buy you a whole 10-pack of underwear. Uh, <laughs> maybe e- not from Target, though. But maybe, right, maybe not from Target and no detergent. Ethan, yeah. good to be with you, my friend. Always a pleasure, Carm. We transition into some Chicago Bulls talk with my number one Bulls fan, Brian Beto, who joined this podcast during the last dance. And uh, Beto, you are married seven years this weekend. Is that right? (laughs) As of today, seven years, someone somehow decided to put up with me during this time for about 2,500 days. How How many Bulls players can you name that wore number seven? Ben Gordon, Tony Kukoc, that's probably it. Not bad, though, for a span of three seconds. No, I, I'm actually very impressed by you just pulling out <laughs> Ben Gordon and, and Tony. Uh, the list I have in front of me here, Jim Washington, 87, or 67, rather, 69. Paul McCracken wore it in 77. Scott May in 81, Dudley Bradley in 1983. By the way, Dudley Bradley got cut, came to Ravinia School, and where Mark Carmen was 10 years old, and he came to our gym class to, like, I don't know what the hell he was doing there. But we, but, <laughs> but we didn't have any basketballs. And people were like, can you dunk, Dudley? And he said, yes, I can. Do you have a ball? Like, And for some reason, Ravinia School literally didn't have a basketball, so we gave him, like, this foam circular object that Dudley Bradley dunked, and we all cheered for Dudley Bradley. That's a true story. What's what's incredible about that is that when you pulled up this list, in my mind, I was thinking, I cannot wait till he gets to the early 80s, (laughs) find someone that wears number seven, and just pulls up the most random story about a guy I've never heard about in my entire life, and you did not Dudley Did you not? That was going through my head. <laughs> that is, it wasn't going through my head, but it's, it's pretty incredible that that happened. Billy McKinney, 1986, go Cats. I see you, Dave Ennett. Uh, then Kukoc, then Gordon. The old Mr. Cat. You'll, 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 you'll know this next one. I'll give you a clue. He backed up Derrick Rose and was underrated and hit some big shots. We, I mean... Okay, so back up Derrick Rose. We have a couple. I mean, there was like seven backup point guards. There was that, a lot. Um, this guy was – did well. He CJ? Had, CJ Watson. There you go. All right. Not bad. That was good on the first guess. Could have been a lot. Could have been an Aaron Brooks. Could, Could have, have been, been a, a DJ Augustine, I, I but think, I went with CJ. I think Aaron Brooks was three. DJ Augustine, I want to say, was right. 10, 12. Like 11? Somewhere in there. Justin Holiday, Michael Carter-Williams, hello. And who was that guy on the team that I could never pronounce his name? Timothy Luau Cabarro. <laughs> so he he played the other night. I want to say for someone, 
Was that him? And just went off. TLC, right? Did he? TLC, yeah. Did he go off in the? In the I haven't. I didn't see that. Is, is in the bubble? Is he on the net? Is Cavaro going I mean, off on the Jamal Nets? Crawford and Michael Beasley got time on the Nets. He could be on the Nets. You're right. He's on the Brooklyn Nets. That's a tremendous, <laughs> tremendous knowledge of what's going on in the bubble. <laughs> I'm so happy I called you up to be on the Windy City. <laughs> That's amazing. Cavaro. I was a late add to the podcast. Whoever bailed right before me, that was a big bail. Nah, it's no no bails. It's just uh, I was thinking I've been getting some feedback that they want us to hit, but they want me to hit all the all the teams. I'm like, well, who's going to talk Bulls with me tonight? I'm like, Brian Beto will talk Bulls with me tonight. I know he will. Uh, and so, so I listened to Dan Bernstein this week just rail on the Bulls for continuing with Jim Boylan and and, and – uh, Joe Colley's been writing it in the Sun-Times, and Casey's kind of been in the middle. They, well, he probably is going to come back, but he might not. What's your reading the tea leaves of this situation? Is it just dough? And they're like, hey, I have no idea. If I'm Jerry Reinsdorf, like, trying to figure him out, I have no idea when there's going to be a season next year. Probably starts in December. I don't want to pay a coach until then. And by the way, we're probably still in a pandemic, and no one's going to the game, so I've got – I don't know, 60% less income coming in. So, yeah, Jim Boylan, it's your gig until further notice. Is that what you think is happening? Because that's what I think is happening. Yeah, I mean, like, as far as, like, knowledge is concerned, I don't know any more than anyone else and what's been put out there, but just, like, straight speculation, I would basically everything you said, I know this makes for, for great radio and podcasting, is two people agree to the exact key on the same point, but I'm with you. I just – I don't see a scenario. I feel like, okay, let's say this never happened. They got rid of our packs. They brought in AK and his, his new group. And it was a normal season, normal fans, no pandemic. I'd be shocked if, if Boylan was still there. But given all of what you just said, not that it necessarily justifies it, but that seems to be the reasoning behind it all. I mean, maybe I'm wrong, um, obviously, because I don't know. But um, just – Pure speculation, that's what it seems like. I mean, that to me is a lot more palatable than the Bulls actually think Jim Boylan's a good head coach. That would be worse. Like, okay, I get it. It's, it it's I want to believe this. I want to believe it's just being, like, it's money, uncertainty. Yeah, and look, Jerry can afford it, but again, he is running a business right. and has shareholders to answer to and whatever else. I mean, I'm not trying to, and I don't know what that's going on, and I don't, fully believe that he'll be the coach when the season starts like maybe they'll hire their guy when they actually know when the season will start so they'll start paying him then and they're not you know worried about losing said person maybe our tourist carney chauvis is confident they can get his guy when they want to get his guy that's the other thing that i think is going on here like our tourist if he really 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 wanted someone and went to jerry and said look this guy is going to transform our franchise i think they'd get on board but my guess is he hasn't done that does that make sense yeah, totally. And the other thing is maybe they're playing a little bit close to the vest and maybe they do like someone, but the fact of the matter is you still have 22 teams and their coaching staff in Orlando in a bubble right now that you that they might like and they can't have a chance to interview. Yeah, you can do it through back channels and things like that, but maybe that's going on uh, as well. And to your point, maybe they just don't have that guy that they're going to be like, hey, let's just eat the final year of, of – of Boylan's contract that he doesn't get, so it's definitely possible. And, and let me make one more point here, too, that could actually be going on uh, and switch back to wherever you were before you answer that last question because you were slightly uh, less good-sounding Brian Vito. But so sure. how, how about this? Jerry Reinsdorf looks at the team. Hey, 
You know what I see? I see a bunch of bums. I don't care if we had whatever, Red Auerbach, Phil Jackson, whoever you want to name their their favorite coach, Ken Holtzman. What the hell was his name, the Knicks coach? I'm missing that. Red Holtzman. Thank you. Red Holtzman. Red Holtzman. Tom Thibodeau. Tom, right, Tom Thibodeau in his prime. <laughs> I ain't winning with Zach Levine, Wendell Carter, and Laurie Markkinen, and, and, and you know, they're just not. I, I, I know that some people want to be optimistic about all this so-called talent the Bulls have on the roster, and I like Cody White too, but none of these guys are – at best, to me, there you have a bunch of th- three. Your be- the best players on your team might be the third best player on a winning team. Not even a championship team on a winning team is what I would say. Yeah, I mean that's definitely possible. But I, I think that it's about not necessarily winning right now, but it's just development. And I think there comes a certain point where I'm all about like for me, I'd rather lose you know, win 10 games a year, get the number one pick, then middle every year. But you need to show winning progress at some point. So regardless of who they bring in, you want to take that next step because that was supposed to be this year. And, yeah, I agree with you. They don't have any potential superstar talent to the point where any of these guys are a top two option on a a championship caliber team. But they still have nice young players that they need to develop that can be a part of a, of, a, of a contending team. Uh, they're not going to leave the contending team, I don't think. But, and you've got to figure out what you have because some of these guys are due for extensions. Some are going to be moving to spring training. They're going to have salary cap in a year. So you need, in theory, like not only the players, but the coach to figure out what direction you want to go with in a year. So regardless if you know, you're not going to win a title next year, regardless of the current roster they have, it would still make sense to have someone in place head coach wise that can help them develop um, for the foreseeable future. I agree. I agree. I agree. Makes yes. Develop the players, see what you got. And by the way, since you brought up Thibodeau, if there was one coach that I would want working with Lori Markinen, it would be Tom Thibodeau. You need someone creative to figure out exactly what he can do to help you win, and there definitely are things there. And you probably need somebody with Laurie that I think is a little bit of a hard ass. Like that, Tibbs and Marketing could have been a nice combo. Do you agree, or dis- are you thinking that I'm nuts here? No, I mean, I, I'm, I'm trying to let my bias of loving Tibbs not to get in the way. I'm trying not to live in the past, but I agree that obviously there'd be some positive there on top of it i think it'd be good for wendell carter jr kids when he started with the bulls sort of revolutionized how teams defended the pick and roll and wendell is really good in that department and could be elite in that department and it's so important this day day and age and i think he'd be really good for that you know there's a guy out there that has been tied to the bulls at least loosely and kenny atkinson that kind of comes from that that model of like what Tibbs might have that I've had some interest in too. So that's another guy. But I think marketing to me, to your point, is, is sort of the key of, all right, what do we do next with him? Because he, his numbers might have not been like some of his advanced numbers as bad as – or as not – I guess he didn't have as, as far of a step back this year as I think a lot of people thought. He just wasn't used a lot. His, if he was used a little bit more, his numbers would have been a little bit better. But you need to see what you have. I mean, is this guy – you know, part of this core, is he like your potential future superstar or is he, is a ceiling near what it is right now? So I think like pairing him with a guy like Tibbs or Atkins or something like that, maybe you can determine that sooner, sooner rather than later, but the, 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 the former is a moot point with Tibbs on his way to New York. Yeah. I forgot that you were such a Tibbs guy. I didn't know that. I thought I was the only Big one. Tibbs guy. <laughs> yeah. Love Tibbs. 
not that that's going to go well in New York, most likely, but I'm glad he got another gig and maybe he'll pull that's, off a miracle. They, they a, that's a roster issue in New York. Yes, at least. <laughs> it is. And a lot of dead coaches uh, in New York going all the way back to, well, I, I guess you don't stop at Isaiah Thomas, but it's a long line, Jeff Hornacek <laughs> and company. They, things do not tend to go well there, David Fisdale. All right, uh, Beto, you're the man. Happy anniversary. I'm I'm leaving you with this. You might be right, I guess, on you, Darvish. We've had this argument a zillion times that I thought the Cubs were out of their mind letting Jake Arrieta go to the Phillies, sign up to the short-term deal, may play out it, play it out. You, Darvish, is never going to work out, and I still think he's going to blow out his arm the next time he goes to the mound, but the dude's been pitching great, so – as a professional Carmen over here, I just want to give you your props right now. You is on a roll. <laughs> I appreciate that. I'm a little bit nervous though, because last time you had an opinion about it was after the first start and you were ready to, you're ready to dump him, And then he went off. Now I'm nervous that you're going to have the opposite effect. <laughs> and then you're going to give him props. And I was going to go down to two and look like Arietta did last year. Arietta actually pitched really well last night for the, for the Phillies, but I was a big fan of the signing, and, you know, second half of last year looked pretty good, off to a good start this year. I just hope that somebody's pitching for the Cubs by the end of September and the season's not shut down, but uh, but hopefully you can keep it going. Well, that gets back to the way I started the show. Look, it's called Survivor. The Marlins, you are eliminated. St. Louis, eliminated. This is baseball 2020. I don't care if it's your fault or if you were at a casino. Either way, you're out. Enough with waiting around yeah. and win percentages and all the BS. You're out. Uh, so the Cubs should have been playing somebody this weekend. Just scramble the schedule. Who's available? Who's close? We're in. More games with the Royals. By the way, lucky they didn't play the Royals this weekend. Swept the Twins. That was kind of stunning. Uh, Beto, happy anniversary. Cheers. To- Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Always great to talk to you on my anniversary. <laughs> <laughs> Brian Beto on DeWindy. From the Bulls to the Sox, time to bring in the King. The number one White Sox fan of DeWindy City Podcast, the King, is with us. Hello, King. How are you? Oh, I'm great. Thanks, Mark. How are you? So you predicted, King, that the White Sox, after they lost their first game this year, would finish 59-1, and and now we're sitting at 8-7, and so I'm assuming you think the season will end at 53-7? and That's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking, uh, I think, I'm thinking 59-1 may have been a little aggressive, but I'm thinking... 53 and 7 may be the right number. Kings, just so we get some background here, your all time favorite White Sox player is? Oh my gosh, that is really, uh, that's really a, my all time might be uh, Dick Allen. Uh huh. And do you, How about you? I, you know what? I go back to, I loved Ozzy, man. I loved him in, in 83. I love him now. I'm just an Ozzy guy. I love him in 05. The White Sox do not win the World Series without Ozzy Gian. I love Ozzy Gian. Yeah, he's a, he's funny. And, and uh, you know, Richie Zisk, remember? Or, or, or old uh, Oscar Gamble. 
Yeah, I you're Oscar Gamble too. You're a drop older than me, King. So you see, that's like a little bit before my time. Mo- and Wilbur Wood before he took one off the knee. Yeah, that's oh. see, see, this he is... could throw he could throw two games in one day. Wilbur Wood. I mean, for me, it was Ron Kittle, roof shots, the bull. Give me a little Greg Luzinski. Harold. He's, he's not a White Sox. He's a Philly at heart. Yeah, but, but yeah, he, he had some great years here though. Lamar Hoyt before he went oh. sideways. Yeah, he was good. Yeah, I mean that was that was that was a team. All right, so King, what what do you like most about the White Sox right now, and how confident are you they're going to be in the playoffs? Well, I'm super confident, but let let me ask you this: What don't you like about the White Sox? <laughs> Let's go position to position. You 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 go. All right, you let, 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 here, let, so just around the horn, and I will tell you the pros and cons of. Every position you speak to. Uh, okay, I'm not going to do that with you, but I will have this debate on what I don't like about the White Sox right now or something that is of, of slight concern to me about the White Sox right now. So let's talk about the left fielder, Aloy Jimenez. And let's, yes. let, let's talk about him running into the netting, falling all over himself, and Christian Yelich getting an inside-the-park home run, which most likely the king, I think you would have at least held Yelich to a triple. So, and then, and hold on. And then afterwards, I think Eloy was a little, and I, listen, don't don't get me wrong here. I love Eloy Jimenez. I'm a big fan, super nice guy, massive power. But if he's just a DH, that kind of sucks. And he made one comment that I did not like. And that was, I don't care if I get hurt, I'm going to play the way I play. Now, this is a guy who jumped into the wall last year and injured his ankle, missed a month of time, did it again, missed time, crashed into the wall, nearly concussed himself this year, was lucky he didn't miss more time. It's not about one play in baseball. It's about a 162-game season, or even in this case, a 60-game season. We need Eloy to get on board here with not getting hurt in left field, King. That's what I'm trying to get to. All right, let me ask you, let me, let me answer that with two questions. What number is Eloy? What number? What number's on his jersey? I, I have to look it up, King. Let me. Do, do you have the answer? I I know his number, but go ahead. Just tell me what his number is. Eloy Jimenez. I'm not a numbers guy anymore. Uh, go. Hang on. Let's get a. Let's get an image. Seventy-four. Okay. Okay. Tell me why the seventy-four. Why is it 74? I don't know the why, answer to that either. Why Go. did he choose 74? You tell me. He chose 74 because there's never been a 74 in the White Sox organization. And he chose 74 because he wanted to be a Hall of Famer at number 74 for the Chicago White Sox. Is this true? So, Am I going to verify? Yes. It's, well, go verify it, for God's sake. But that's <laughs> why he chose that number. Okay. And I want that kind of guy on my team. And, that's and I want him in left field. And, let, and here's my second question for you, Mark Carmen. Okay, King. You're always on the mark, right? <laughs> it, it, yes, absolutely. On the mark became the Windy City podcast. But, yes, I'm always on the mark, damn it. Go ahead. So, knowing that you're always on the mark, wouldn't you rather – he lost the game the other night to the Milwaukee Bulls. Uh, well, I would, I'd say that even he that's – He did. It, it, we up 2-1 at the time. They and then they went on to win eight three, and you know there 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 was four runs. So you could say that play lost the game. 
But isn't Eloy going to win more games than he loses? Uh, don't you keep Don't you keep him in the left field and let him mature as a fielder so that you can win more games? And occasionally he's going to lose a game. And his enthusiasm occasionally is going to get him hurt. But I want number 74 on that field as much as I possibly can with that attitude and that enthusiasm because you don't see that in sports much anymore. And he'll win many more games than he'll lose. And I, he'll be a White Sox Hall of Fame. Oh, wow. Okay, that's why the king goes all the way, and I appreciate that. I don't know if he's going to win you any games literally ever in left field, but can he become a competent left fielder? I think that is still on the table for Eloy, but I just – look, it's fine. Leave him out there. Let him grow. Eloy, don't get hurt. There's certain guys – like, if if Aaron Rowan wants to go crash into the wall and break his nose to make a play, he's kind of earned that right because he's a great outfielder. Same thing with Adam Eaton. I'll throw him in there, who, of course, got traded to the Nationals for Lucas Giolito, Ronaldo Lopez, Dane Dunning. Thank you very much, Washington. But guys like that, they sort of earned the right, I guess, to get hurt out there, even though I didn't want them to do that anyway. But they're great defenders. Eloy is, a, is not a great defender, so... Your number one thing right now is do not get hurt and take what's the valuable part away from you off the, off the lineup, which is your bat. So do the best you can out there and left. Learn along the way, but just you know, just 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 stay healthy. That's all I'm asking for, King. I don't think that's too big of an ask. It's fair, but you got to know who the who the player is, and historically he has not been a great fielder. But that doesn't mean that he won't be a great fielder. That just means he's not a great fielder yet. Okay, just copy. And so I like the enthusiasm. Cop- I like the enthusiasm with the bat. I like the enthusiasm with the mind. And I like the enthusiasm with the field. King, I like Eloy Jimenez. King, I really liked your debut on DeWindy. Great job. Um, my, my pleasure. Anytime. The King. What a legend. We wrap up today with one of the most famed photographers in the history of the sporting world, Walter Yost. He's worked for Sports Illustrated, as you're about to find out, since he was 17 years old, which is crazy. And so many, so many pictures with Michael Jeffrey Jordan. Some great stories coming up here. Kobe, too. I think you'll enjoy it. Walter's a very subdued Walter. He's enjoyable to listen to. Just feel like you should, I don't know, get a nice cup of tea out or perhaps a cup of bourbon and just enjoy Walter Yost on the Windy. Look what you're doing to me. I'm literally at your whim. All of my defenses down. Maybe the most famous photographer in the history of photography, Walter Yost, with us here. Is that too tall, Walter? Did I overstate things right there? Uh, hi, I think you over-embellished my uh, reputation. <laughs> well, uh, I think there are, he can narrow it down maybe into sport, but uh, okay, because world photography is a, a big place. Well, right, I name a lot of other people that are. <laughs> See, but in in my world, Walter, like you know, growing up in Chicago and having seven mm-hmm. copies of Rare Air still on my coffee table, you, you go really? straight to the top of the... I, 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 oh, have, well, okay. I have three copies, if we're, if we're being completely honest. Do you have the hard and the uh, paperback? I have the hard and two paperbacks. Okay. 
that was a that was a, you know a, a significant part of of my life to to spend that season with Michael. You know, who would have known it would all enter or ended up that way? Because you know, the, I went to Chicago unannounced in 1992 because it was sort of a slow year in photography, and I approached Michael after a game. And he comes to me, he says, what are you doing here? I said, I have an idea. This is after he's done all his interviews. He says, your ideas usually mean work. And I pitched the idea of him doing a family album. This is children now. He's had his championships and his family players. You have everything. This would be your family album forever. He said, it's a good idea. He said, let me think about it. So a week later, I saw him in Los Angeles. He said, let's do it. We shook hands, and we started. No publisher, no advance, nothing. And I was spending a lot of time at the Ritz-Carlton, so my bill was uh, <laughs> was adding up. And then one day he said, I want you to meet somebody. And we went into the Blackhawks locker room, and he introduced me to Mark Vansel. Mark Vansel became the writer and the creator of the name Rare. And we still couldn't sell the book when it was done. And we finally sold it to Collins in San Francisco. It wasn't for sale anywhere. And then his father was murdered, and he retired, and it went to number one. That's a, a miracle. Wow. So yeah. you're saying basically if he had kept playing and and his career wasn't interrupted with baseball – caused by the, the murder of his father. Uh, who knows what would have happened with the book? Uh, it, it would still be in a basement somewhere in like uh, HarperCollins or somewhere. No, it's, that's what changed everything. And, you know, a, a friend of mine who was a New York Times writer, Dave Anderson, who had a bestseller, he said, you call this number every week of the New York Times and they count down from 25 to 1. So when I knew the book was selling, you'd call up Number 13, rare. Next week, number three, rare. Next week, number one, rare. So it's like uh, you're lucky to have that once. Yeah. You you knew Michael, what, dating back all the way to 87? Was it before that? Yeah, we met in 87 at Lyle, Illinois. Uh, Sports Illustrated sent me out to photograph me at a children's camp there. And that's the first time I'd met him. You know, he was, he was, he was, you know, it was a different world for him then. He was so charismatic, which he still is. And we did a portrait for a cover, photographed his camp, and then I shot the Blue Dunk. Yeah, where and was then, that? Well, <laughs> at this camp in Lyle, somewhere outside of Chicago. There were these big parking lots. So I had my assistant. We painted one part of the parking lot blue and another section red because I didn't know which uniform he was going to show up in. Then I brought in a basket. It was trucked in from St. Louis. There are no NBA baskets in Chicago. So they trucked in the basket. I got a cherry picker to shoot from above. My camera took 14 frames a second. He showed up in his red uniform. We went to the blue court. And then, of course, you could only do it between, like, one thirty and 2.30 
because of the light and the shadow. And uh, the blue dunk was created. How many dunks would you say he did? Well, he did a lot more in those days. Plus, you could lower the basket, maybe 15 or 20. The longer you did anything with dunks, it was getting to single digits. I said, Mike, we got 10. He goes, Walter, you out of your mind? Five. I said, come on, Mike, we can do more than five. <laughs> Two things he didn't like to do was dunk too much for pictures and sign autographs because everyone has autographs. Every person I work with can get Michael's autograph. I said, oh. I said, Mike, uh, my assistant wants your autograph. He goes, Walter, you're the worst offender of them all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a, a, a beautiful period. It's my sister, MJ. Come on. Uh, your sister, yeah. Yeah, right. I, how would you say he changed over the years? Because I remember young Mike. I loved young Mike. That kid was, uh, I wouldn't say he was naive, but it was different. Yeah, well, I think, yeah, I mean, I think every famous athlete gets boxed in by the boundaries of fame. You know, you, you just can't do things anymore. We would go places in, in 87, 88, go to a restaurant. He knew everyone's name. He was, he was so personable. But as you become the most famous athlete in the world, the walls can close in a little. I'll tell you how famous he was to me once. I was in Borneo in a canoe. The canoe paddler had a Jordan shirt on. That's how far his fame stretched. Well, let's dive off on that one, Walter. Where's the? Where would you say the coolest place on earth that you've been to? Uh, probably the Seychelles, the Indian Ocean. That was on the swimsuit trip. There were no athletes there. Just models. So you're in the middle of nowhere, beaches, pristine, and beautiful women. That does not sound terrible, Walter. No, it was very hard for my wife to send me off at the airport because <laughs> she sent me off at Kennedy with Christy Brinkley, her prime. And the Seychelles are actually one half, I mean, they're half the distance around the world. Look at a globe, no matter which way you go. From New York, it's halfway around the world. So it's a, a very long trip, but, you know, a very beautiful place. So we're here today, for the record, to uh, talk about how you're partnering with Christie's, who's auctioning off the largest collection of game-worn sneakers from uh, Michael Jeffrey Jordan. Um, we'll get to that in one second here, but I just want to tee it up that that's coming. But I, I do want to ask you, like, how did you – fall into this, Walter. I'm sure you've been asked that question a zillion times, but I, I'm, I'm curious the answer as to, you know, did you realize that you have a talent for it and then actually were creative enough to realize that I could actually make a living doing this? Because it's not normal. Uh, no. I mean, it, it started when I was 15. My father was a musician, a jazz musician in New York, loved photography. And my parents were divorced and I would see him on Sundays. And he bought season tickets the New York football giants in the 1959 season. And he bought in the city, 
the 300 millimeter lens and the 35 millimeter camera, which was pretty avant-garde equipment. But I, you know, people would bang their heads and do it. It was like, you know, New Yorkers getting upset. So in the fourth game of the season, I shot my first pictures. I went back to East Orange in New Jersey where I lived, processed the roll of film, held up the light, and basically my future was unlocked. I just, I love sports. I love form. I love athletes. And, you know, it's just putting the right thing in my hand. And at 17, I had my first paid assignment two weeks after high school for Sports Illustrated. You got hired by Sports Illustrated at 17? Yeah, yeah what do they know? <laughs> Obviously, <laughs> they're giving a kid a break. Yeah, I, w- I remember. Listen, I remember calling them up. I mean, I even remember the phone number. You know, I used to take the, the train, the path, another train, and the subway to go visit them. I, you know, they, they gave a kid a break. Um, That's amazing. Talent. Yeah, so. so you didn't go to college? No, they, my, I was. If things didn't work out, my father gave me like a year and a half to make it, which is not a lot of time. And I was going to go to RIT, Rochester Institute of Technology. Um, my mother's side of the family weren't too thrilled that I was a photographer, so they were like Ivy League people. I remember I was laying in bed, you know, you aren't working all the time, obviously. You know, I would go two months without a job. Right. Laying in my bed in East Orange, my mother comes in, Walter, what are you going to do with your life? I said, I'm going to become a photographer. She goes, How gauche? And walked out of the room. <laughs> How gauche? How gauche? Oh, that's the way they talk back then. <laughs> uh, her brother didn't like my father either. Are you working now, Walter? He was a, a Yale attorney. He was a freelance music, musician. So it was like he never had a real job, <laughs> but he always worked. So it was two sides of the family there. So, you know, you, you learn from both sides. It's really interesting, too, because a lot of times, at least the way I look at it, it'd be really nice if you had some super supportive parents who were telling you, you can do literally anything. You can become the a world-famous photographer, or you can, whatever, play in the NBA or play professional tennis, whatever it would be. And then you have other sides which you're teeing up, and yet you were still successful through it, Walter. So there's there's something to be said for that. Well, my father was always behind me in this, you know, uh, I, I grew up with my grandfather and my mother, my grandfather, he liked it too. I mean, you know, when you're 19, you're sort of successful at that point. Um, I'm sure they would have preferred I'd gone to like Williams or somewhere, but my grades weren't so great in high school. <laughs> that wasn't my thing. Me neither. And if my parents weren't divorced, I know I was in the music business. Okay. Absolutely. So tell me about what it's like for you working with Christie's and, and the Air Jordan sneakers, which, by the way, I've uh, I've got many of those, too, because that's what happens when you grow up in privileged no- the northern suburbs of you Chicago. Have the, you have Jordan shoes that he wore? No, no, I'm not that privileged. No. I, but no. I have but I have some I saved, you know, the the twos and the threes and I think the fours I have, too, from you know, way back in the day. And then I didn't realize, of course, that they would 
remake these things and you could buy them now. But I, I looked at them like, and I wore them. They were great to wear. I never wore yeah, they're them. They were cool sneakers. Yeah. I mean, I would wear them to play basketball for the record. I didn't wear them like to go out on Friday night. I, did, I wasn't that guy. I'm like, these are pristine. They should only touch the basketball court. But any rate, uh, this is a bit, this is a, Kind of an iconic moment in time. It almost feels like. Uh, what, what, well, for yeah. for me, you know, it's a it's a departure from magazine and advertising. I mean, I sell prints, you know, out of my house or through some galleries. But this is taking your photography. People always say, "Do you do you feel like you're an artist?" And I said, "No." <laughs> it's that it never really crosses my mind. I'm a photographer, but this is sort of elevated into another world where they're taking a, a small group of images um, and bringing it out to a whole other clientele. You know, I visited Christie's a couple of days ago, and their space is enormous. The the, the history of what they own there is like the, the Museum of Modern Art over there. They also had the largest piece of moon on Earth on display a chunk of moon so you go from photography to artwork to manuscripts i mean it puts you in a different world i mean they've had picassos there i've never been in a place with picassos i'm not comparing myself to picasso but it's nice to be in the same room what does mike think about this project have you talked to him? <laughs> no. Uh, I don't know. I mean, let's just say Michael's timing, even now, is remarkable. With no sport, when they, they pushed up his 10-part documentary, which I thought 10 parts? I mean, who can watch 10 parts? I mean, watch I want, every second of it. I wanted 50, Walter. but 50? <laughs> But, you know, I loved his interviews there. I mean, he's, he's such a competitor. I mean, he's – and he still is the greatest player of all time. Oh, there's no question. I mean, no one moves like that guy. I mean, the, the footage of him in the early days, his dunking and his quickness. Oh, my God. People people are getting lost in this thing, and, and it's just like, oh, LeBron's bigger. I'm like, okay. Uh, he's, a, he's a great player. He has heavy feet, but he's a, he's a great, great player, LeBron. Yeah, great player. Away from, but he's not as a... Great player. Kobe was a great player. Magic yes, was a great was. player. We can, you mm-hmm. know, a lot of great players. Kareem. Kareem. West, we, know that. we can name them all. They were all phenomenal. Yeah, there a lot of great players. Only one Mike. I'm sorry. I just – and I, actually, I'm not sorry. Uh, it's just a different – a different dude but whatever time will for people's opinions change over time i think i'm surprised you know i i knew he would give away his shoes every game yeah he gave them to hospitals or kids or only wore them once now i wish i'd gotten a pair (laughs) well that's i'm looking i'm I'm looking at these pictures yeah i'm looking at these pictures here walter these are like they say game worn. They don't look. Like, they don't look game worn. They look street worn. He wore shoes once, certainly in the '98, '97 season. Yeah, maybe a practice. I don't know. They, they check the DNA on them. <laughs> I just I don't know. I'm just some of these are like 
I mean, the fours here look completely broke like they were Air Jordan 4 Fire Red Player exclusive game worn signed sneaker. I mean, it looks like well, he. It, I believe it. And I mean, I guess you can't. Who would, who would have imagined, you know, well, I mean, shirts signed by him? Yeah. Hey. What would we do without Michael? What would we do without Mike? Before we, before you go here, Walter, let's let's just talk about Kobe, because uh, I know you you spent time with Kobe amongst a, a, a zillion. Yeah, so tell me about Kobe. Like, what was your favorite thing about him? When I got the news, I was on one of my last shoots of the year. I was in Scottsdale. It, it, it tore me up. But he he was. He was a renaissance man. He loved photography. He loved music. He had an uh, Emmy Award cartoon. I mean, he could do a lot of things. He always knew how to pose. He had a great face. And we, we did a lot of work. I met him at 17 in a shoot. And then we did all his work for Adidas back in 2000. And, and then I was with him. I flew on his chopper with his family. I mean, Hey, he is as driven as any man there ever was to play with a torn Achilles tendon. And then his last game scores 60. And he patted his jumper after Michael. He had a beautiful jumper, too. He's he's one of the great players of all time. I love Kobe. uh, And I I, I love him. And And I wish that from a fan standpoint that I hadn't been so competitive with him because... He was coming at Mike hard. Nobody has has ever mimicked Michael's game, and I don't think anybody ever will to the level that Kobe did. It was unbelievable, and he's a hell of a player. And (laughs) I on the radio, you know, you're good, you're good, and I, uh, you know, not to make it a whole competition. I I thought that Mike's speech on Kobe, I didn't know they were so close. Were you aware of that? No, uh, it was very touching. It is his, his funeral that day. No, I didn't either. I mean, I didn't know that whole story how they started to communicate. Um, I mean, Kobe told me, you know, he patterned everything after Michael, and he played up in a one-on-one game and beat him somewhere, which m- must have killed Michael. Wait, what? Is that how? Do he, people know he, that? He told me once. He told me once. He played him one-on-one and beat him. This was, and he was young. So you're he saying to this jumper, he says, this is pattern after Michael. <laughs> and one more thing about Kobe. I used to do these pictures for, you know, bring a trampoline out. We did a lot of work in Santa Monica. And Kobe Bryant, hands down, the greatest trampoline artist of all time. What he could do in midair. And then he said, no more of this stuff. <laughs> really? Because... Oh, I mean, the form is what he did up in the air. Oh, my God. I mean, he was a, it's a world-class athlete with form. Super intelligent, too. Okay. Oh, my God. Yes. And the longer you, you work with Kobe and Michael and a lot of people that you came to know, you know, they're, they're very smart, all these guys. And I'm very aware of everything that's happening around him. I mean, Michael was like had a hundred eyes in his head. He knew everything that was happening. 
with Kobe, I said, well, how much time do you have? He said, as much as you want. And we would just sit and talk, talk sport, talk about life. I did the same thing with Michael. We had an hour shoot. I said, the first 20 minutes, I'm going to sit and talk. And then we'll work. Because their opinions, you know, it's like talking to an Einstein on sport. And it's a whole other world. And, you know, I love to talk sport with them. What would they want to talk about? <laughs> what would get them excited? Well, swimsuit models. <laughs> <laughs> no. Eh, Kobe never asked for that, nor did Michael. Oh, he just talked sport in general, whatever was happening. Okay. Just sit and let it roll. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, on this release that I got here, um, and by the way, the, the private selling ambition, for the love of the game, sport in modern and contemporary art, if people want to check it out. Um, I'm not even sure how to tell people to do that here, Walter. Do you know how? Well, to- you just go online to Christie's, and it's the athlete, Walter Yost Jr., Okay, Christie's the athlete, yeah. Walter Yost Jr. And there's 38 images, and someone could bid on them. It gives you, we've been posting on my Instagram site for the last week photographs that are appearing at Christie's. So if you go to Walter Yost on Instagram, with all the backstories of how the pictures were taken, where and why. I think i got to ask you about Ali. Did you know Ali? Mm-hmm. Well, I did, but you know, not really well because I met Ali when he had started to, you know, the Parkinson had set in. Okay. I photographed him three times in person, and we also did a handprint, which is for sale at Christie's. There's a, a a a print of Ali, a black and white print, where I put his hand in ink in Manhattan, and then he drew on the print, a boxing ring with two boxes in it and fans all around with little dots. I mean, it's it's a remarkable piece. And we had a shoot, but this print's not in the show. I shot... I shot Ali and Frazier together. Oh, wow. Uh, near the end of their career. And the only way it would happen... Because Joe was still upset, was if Ali came to Joe in his gym in Philly, and that was, you know, one of these days you'll never have as long as you live again. Two old battered warriors. I love Joe Frazier too. Oh my God! How were they to each other? Uh, well, Ali really couldn't communicate that well. All right. He never really spoke. He understood everything I wanted to do. And, there was a, a sort of a magical moment at the end. Um, Ollie's hand kept dropping in front of his, his, his crotch. He's linear Michael Jackson. I kept saying, champ, I said, you gotta move your hand. And at one point, Joe just took it and held it. So it wouldn't be there. Those are two. That's some warrior stuff right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, well, Walter, congrats on this. It's great to talk to you. Oh, well, thank you so much. Yeah, this is it's exciting. It's like this countdown to the 11th, the final day. It's like uh, waiting for Christmas to see what happens. <laughs> like a kid waiting. 
Yeah, open bidding started uh, the 3rd and then to the 11th. By the way, August 11th is my birthday. I don't know if that that has any connection to anything here, but if somebody wants to buy me one of these for my birthday... A pair of shoes. A pair of shoes. I'm in. It's you know. It's a, I'll take the cheapest one. I, I think the the uh, Baron's cleats are like eight grand. So you know, uh, good God, lot lot of dough. But for those who are you know have ex, extra spending money around and you're a huge Jordan fan, uh, you want to you want to take a look at what's going on here. Someone's gonna buy them. So oh, I know it. <laughs> there's 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 no doubt. There's no doubt. Yeah. Uh, Walter, great speaking with you. Congrats on this. And, uh, well, thank you so much. Yeah, look forward to connecting down the line. Give my regards to uh, Chicago. Chicago is uh, Chicago appreciates you for many, 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 many photographs. I think probably number one is the 88 All-Star yeah. game, but uh, a lot of other ones too. The Cubbies. Are you a Sox fan or a uh, White Sox or Cubby? Well, we got the White Sox on the radio station, but I did grow up rooting for the Cubs, if I'm being honest. I've got to love the Cubs. Yeah, you, you, it's, 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 it's wonderful a, ballpark in baseball. Oh, there's no – It's. I agree. Yeah. I agree. People like to say Fenway, but – Well, he's different. I see Northeast, but yeah. Wrigley's special. It's very, very special. Walter Yost, thank you, sir. Thank you so much for your time. Ton of fun on the pod today. Thank you for checking it out. And please like, subscribe, rate. Need it all. We're on the new platform, Omni, as well as everywhere else you get your podcast. The Windy City comes out every Monday. Follow me on Twitter at the Carm. Would love some comments if you listen to the show today. We will see you next week. Bye. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.